Open your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And uh, so, I need some help here. I need to find out... Anybody take notes here? Anybody? Good! Several people take notes. So, um, I have been trying to help us... Uh, to think about becoming imitators and how do you know if you become an imitator of Jesus Christ? And so I said that there were two questions that you needed to answer. Do anybody remember what the two questions are? Yes, sir. Good. Man, that's excellent. Has the gospel changed you and does the gospel drive you? Fantastic. So, and, and when, whenever we looked at the Thessalonians, we said that there were the gospel had changed them and we said that the gospel uh, there were two things that two ways that we knew that the gospel had changed them what were they do you remember what I said the first one was so this is when if I ask Heather or if I ask one of my sons what was this point or what was the sermon about and they didn't get it that's my bad not theirs and so um, so the way that you know that the gospel has changed you is the gospel changes how you live and we talked about from verse number three there were three things that the gospel does it, it gives you what was the first thing a genuine faith that works yes sir good alright what was number two do you remember Yes, sir. Go ahead, Jack. Good. True love that labors. And by the way, you guys have been serving. Thank you for doing that. I've watched you help each other and clear plates and do things like that without being asked. That really is a, is a labor of love and appreciate so much the way that you guys are doing it. And then the third way that the gospel changes how you live. Yes, sir. Elias. A true, uh, hope that That's right. You have a real or a true hope that endures. So in other words, when things get difficult, uh, you're going to stick with it because you know that God is in control. So we said the gospel changes how you live. And then what was the second thing that I talked about? The gospel what? The gospel reveals... Yes, sir. Yeah, it reveals who God loves. Do you remember how we kind of dipped into that? And, and we talked about verse number 4 through 7. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you. And how was it that Paul was able to say, we know that God chose you, we know that you're part of the elect, because there was supernatural delivery, and then there was a supernatural response. Remember, the preaching was different, right? It was in word, it was in power, it was in spirit, and it was with conviction or assurance. And then there was a supernatural response on their part. They became imitators... And they became what? They were something else they became. Yes, ma'am. Examples. Fantastic. You guys are, man, you guys are great. You don't need sleep, do you? You just, uh, good. This is great. I need to ask you on Sunday morning for my points. Part of the way that they became imitators was they welcomed the Word in spite of suffering and they welcomed the Word with spiritual joy. So, we covered that first question, has the gospel changed you? And now we're going to work through the final part of this, and that is, does the gospel drive you? And we can say that the gospel actually was driving the believers in Thessalonica. In other words, the gospel had become so important to them 
that they were sharing it with other people. And imitators or examples, first of all, spread the gospel through what they say. Imitators or examples spread the gospel through what they say. Look at verse number 8. It says, For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you. You remember, it started with Paul, right? Paul came preaching the gospel or the word of the Lord. He had some helpers. He had Silvanus and Timothy with him, but it didn't stop with Paul. Now these new Christians had become co-laborers or partners with Paul in spreading the word of the Lord. And man, was it spreading. Notice the, what Paul says. He's writing back to them and said, For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you. That word sounded forth is, a, is, a, is an interesting term. And the reason why is because it's kind of like thunder clapping or, or thunder vibrating. Uh, we don't get a lot of thunderstorms in Phoenix, but once in a while we do. And whenever you hear thunder, we used to get a lot of them in Florida. Sometimes if the lightning was close by and then the thunder happened, the whole house would kind of shake and then you would hear it just kind of rumble off, right? That's the idea here, is that the word of the Lord was sounding forth or kind of rumbling off from them. Uh, back at the time that they were doing Sounds of Christmas, or maybe it was the Easter uh, Resurrection Sunday celebration, there was somebody from the choir who was standing outside my office window on a Sunday morning, and they had their trumpet, and they were warming up right outside my window. And every time they would blast this trumpet, I mean, it would just kind of sound forth. Anybody play trumpet here? Your, parent, your parents probably don't let you practice inside, do they? I mean, it's loud, right? Close the door. All right, so it's that kind of a thing with this sounding forth. That's what Paul's saying. Whether it's like thunder kind of rumbling out or a trumpet blast, he says, listen, the word of the Lord is sounding forth from you. To where? He says, not only in Macedonia, that was the area in which Thessalonica was, and Achaia, that was another place, another surrounding area a little to the south. He says, but also in every place. Paul was just amazed that these people were so taken with the gospel that now they had begun to share the gospel with other people. And it wasn't just the people in Thessalonica. This was sounding forth from them to the area of Macedonia and the area of Achaia. And in every place, Paul says, the gospel is trumpeting forth into the surrounding areas and beyond. But how did they do it? How were they getting the gospel out? Well, we would try to be creative and we try to come up with some ways to do it, but they didn't have some of our creative ways. Do you know that they didn't have email and they didn't have Twitter and they didn't have TikTok and they didn't have YouTube and they didn't have any kind of social media platform? Do you know how they told, they gave the gospel to other people? Anybody? Yes, sir. They used their mouths. They used their mouths. That's right. They had a conversation. They were talking to their friends or maybe new people that they met. And they started telling them about Jesus. They did it the old-fashioned way. In other words, they loved Jesus so much that they brought Him up in their conversations and they began telling others how Jesus had changed them. 
The other day we had a, a man who was at our campus and he was exterminating bugs. And uh, we had these little black beetles everywhere. Anybody had those at your house? Oh yeah, they're coming out, right? Well, we had those and we had the exterminator in and he was a, he was a younger man in his probably his mid-twenties and he was, he was spraying my office and so I started talking to him and I wanted to give him the gospel. And this is a great way to make the conversation turn the conversation toward Jesus and the gospel. I ask him, so, you go to church anywhere? And that's normally an easy way to start that conversation. And he said, well, you know, sometimes but not a lot. And then I said, well, well, hey, has anybody ever talked to you about Jesus? Or do you understand the gospel? Have you ever heard of that? And so just had the opportunity to talk to him. And you know what? He wanted to hear it. And so I kept talking and he kept listening and he was asking me questions. And, and as he's talking, guess what he's doing? He's going around and he's spraying my office for bugs. He must have sprayed my office four times going around. I mean, he was, he was just, he kept spraying and, and I kept telling him. And you know, I invited him to church and I gave him a two ways to live track. And I was just sharing with him how Jesus had changed my life just as I was sharing with you. Why would I do that? Why would I take the time to tell the exterminator, the bug guy, about Jesus? Why would I do that? Yes, so that, so that he could hear about Jesus, so that he could believe the gospel, so that he could be forgiven and have his sins forgiven just like God did with me. And so that's what was happening with the Thessalonians. They were, they were bringing up Jesus in the conversations. They were, they were talking to people. Why? Because they were, so, they were so excited that they had been forgiven. Have you, have you ever had something happen and you were just so excited you want to tell all your friends? And then it wasn't just your friends, but anybody that you would meet, you were so excited about something that you brought it up with people that you didn't even know. That's what these people were doing. And Paul says, the word of the Lord is sounding forth from you to all of the area around. And do you remember I told you about the location of Thessalonica? Remember that they had a seaport where ships would come in? And they also were on something called the Ignatian Way, which was a, a Roman highway. Because of where they were, people were coming in and people were going out. And it was a great place for the gospel to go out. So when ships would come in, they'd be unloading the ships. They'd be talking about, the, about Jesus with the people on the ships. And whenever people would come in on their way to someplace else, they'd be talking to them about Jesus. And so this location just became strategic in the gospel going forth. The point is that imitators spread the gospel through what they say. Do you tell people about Jesus? I know sometimes it's a little bit hard. It, it, it can be a little bit awkward if you're, if you're not really doing it a lot. But you know what? If you love Him and if He has changed you, you'll want to talk about Him to other people. And you might say, well, Scott, I'm just not really sure how to do that. 
You know, you can start off just by asking them, hey, do you go to church? And then you can tell them what your life used to be like before you started following Jesus, before God saved you. And do you remember, you know how He saved you? Remember the three facts that are necessary for the Gospel, right? Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that God raised Him from the dead on the third day according to the Scriptures. And so you've got all the content there to tell them that He offers forgiveness if we're willing to repent and believe. And then you know what? If, 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 if that doesn't really work great for you, or if they say, well, you know, that's really something to think about, this is a great little tool that you can have. You can put it in your Bible or maybe in your, in your book for school or whatever it may be. Two ways to live. And then you can say, hey, listen, will you just take this little booklet and would you read it? And can I meet up with you again and talk about it? And it will talk to them about how they can become a follower of Jesus. So really, really helpful tool. They're free at the church. If you want some, just ask your discipler and they would be glad uh, to make sure that you have some of that. So imitators spread the gospel through what they say. They're driven by the gospel. Second, imitators spread the gospel through how they live. People are going to listen to what you say, but listen to me. People are going to watch how you live. Do you remember what we talked about earlier? We talked about that there were some definite ways that your life changes. Genuine faith produces works. True love labors. Real hope endures. It's kind of the same way here. Only notice what Paul says. He says here, Your faith toward God has gone forth. Literally, your faith toward God has sounded forth. Like a trumpet blast, like, like thunder that rumbles, not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, but he says, your faith toward God has gone forth or sounded forth. In other words, people are talking about the way that the people in Thessalonica were living. One commentator called it holy gossip. You say, what is holy gossip? In other words, they may say something like, Hey, have you heard what happened to Roy Augustine? You know, he used to be this way, but then now he talks about Jesus, and it's not just talk. There really is a difference in the way that he's living. Or, you know, maybe Mr. Mike, have you heard about what happened to him? I mean, there's a real difference in the way that he lives. Or, 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 or maybe Chris, you know, he used to be one way, but now he talks about Jesus and, he, and he's so grateful and, and he, he really is thankful and he looks like he's just, he's got peace in his life. And, and, and he just really wants to be pleasing to God. That's what was happening for the Thessalonians. Paul tells them, listen, this is what I'm hearing. I'm hearing that the word of the Lord has, has sounded forth and thundered out from you. And I'm hearing that your faith, your trust in Jesus toward God has gone forth. And, and here's what he says, to the point that we have no need to say anything. Paul says, listen, our career as missionaries in your area is unimportant. You don't even need us. 
Because you're doing such a good job about telling others about Jesus and people see that your life is different, we don't have to go talk to other people about Jesus. Why? Because we don't need to say anything. You're spreading the good news of the gospel in what you say and in how you live. There were some specifics about how they were living, though, that Paul mentions here. There were, there were three things, and I want you to see them. Notice what it is. First of all was they turned. They turned. Look at it in verse 9. For they themselves report, they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols. In other words, their object of worship had changed. They, they, they had different points of focus. Do you remember whenever we went through Romans chapter 1 and verse 25 where Paul says people exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator? Well, the Thessalonians did the opposite. They traded idol worship for worshiping God. In other words, other things used to be more important to them, but now God was the most important thing with them, and there was a definite difference in the way they lived. This is called repentance. In other words, you realize that what you're doing is not right. You realize that you're worshiping another God. Maybe it's popularity, maybe it's friends, maybe it's academics, maybe it's music, maybe, maybe it's just you, you're just trying to please you. Maybe it's being accepted, uh, your image is what's most important. For these people, Jesus became most important and they turned to God from idols or things that they used to pursue and now they were worshiping the Lord. Have you ever repented? Is that, could they say that about you, that you turn to God from idols? In other words, they could say, uh, listen, I, I know that, that James used to have different priorities other than what he has now. Or maybe they say that about, about Rachel. They would say that before the Lord saved her, there were other things that were more important, but now God is the most important thing in her life. That was what they were saying about the Thessalonians. They turned to God from idols. Second, notice not only did they turn or repent, but they serve. They turned to God from idols, what? To serve a living and a true God. In other words, these people became so devoted to Jesus that they didn't just talk about Him, they served Him. In other words, they knew that He was Lord, they knew that He was Master, and they began to serve Him. That's part of how you know if you are a Christian, who are you serving? So let me ask you, who's the authority in your life? If you were to say, the person who makes the decisions in my life, of course, are my parents to some degree, but the person who really, I really want to please is, you fill in the blank. Is it God or is it you? Now, I'm not talking about when you're at church, but I'm talking about all the time. Who do you really serve? Is it God or is it you? Paul was saying, we're hearing the report about you 
that you have turned to God from idols to serve, notice what he says, the living and true God. He's real. We know He's real. And you know He's real because you are serving Him. Not only did they turn, not only did they serve, but notice what He says finally, they wait. They wait. And to wait for His Son from heaven. It's an interesting idea. They're waiting. They're waiting for what? They're waiting for Jesus to come back. You say, really? Yeah, this is actually about 30 years. When this was written, is about 30 years after Jesus had been crucified and had ascended into heaven, and they were expecting Him to return. In fact, there's two books with the name Thessalonians, two letters that we have to them, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. And whenever you read through 1 and 2 Thessalonians, you'll find that they're peppered with references to the end times. They, they talk a lot about what's going to happen in the last days. Maybe you have parents who really are interested in the end times. Some people are too much interested in that, but this is a proper way. It seems that Paul, during his second missionary journey, especially during his ministry in Thessalonica, spoke a lot about the return of Jesus from heaven. In fact, you've got, you're looking there at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Look at chapter 2 and verse 19 of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 2.19. He says, For who is our hope, our joy, our crown of exultation? Is it not even you, notice, in the presence of our Lord Jesus at His coming? We're expecting Jesus to come back. And we're excited about what He's going to do in your life. Go to chapter 3 and look at verses 12 and 13. Chapter 3 and verses 12 and 13. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all men, just as we also do for you, so that He may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before our God and Father. Watch this. At the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. Again, Paul saying Jesus is coming back and this is what we're praying for you. Look at chapter 4. Chapter 4 and verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain, what? Until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. There it is again in chapter 4. Go to chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 2, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Hey Thessalonians, I talked to you about this whenever I was there for three Sabbaths. Jesus is coming back. He's coming like a thief in the night when you don't expect it. Chapter 5 and verse 23. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, he mentions the coming of Jesus. Are you getting the idea here that, that Paul expects Jesus to come back? 
Do you remember whenever Jesus was crucified and He was raised from the dead and He gathered all the disciples together and He ascended into heaven? I mean, that would have been pretty cool to see, wouldn't it? They're standing there, they're watching Him go up and watching Him go up and watching Him go up and, and He disappears into heaven. And do you remember the angels, what they said to, to the disciples who were there? They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched Him go into heaven. Guys, Jesus is coming back. The Thessalonians believe that. And Paul emphasized that to the church, the early church, again and again and again. In fact, the early church believed that the resurrected and ascended Jesus would return to earth and they believed that His return was near. Now you know what? That was a long time ago. But they still believed it. There is a, uh, there's a Bible scholar by the name of Leon Morris and the Lord's taking him home. But this is an observation that he had from all the study of the New Testament. And he said that there is a reference to the return of Jesus Christ on the average of once every 13 verses from Matthew all the way through to Revelation. That's a pretty astounding thought. That about one time every 13 verses, there's a mention or a reference to the coming of Jesus. What does that mean? It means that this expectation of Jesus' return stands in very sharp contrast to modern Christianity. You know, I don't think that most Christians think much about Jesus coming back. Do you? Do you wonder, Lord, when are you going to come back? I mean, it's getting pretty, it's getting pretty difficult here. You, you, you've got, I mean, it just, I mean, it's been getting crazy. First, men are marrying men, and, and women are marrying women, and then men are becoming women, right, and dressing up like ladies, and you've got the whole thing going on, and there, pe people are talking about what pronouns they're going to use, and, and it just gets really, really weird, and it just seems that it gets worse and worse, and people are killing each other, and, and, and you're thinking, Lord, when, when are you coming back? You promised that you're going to come back. Paul said you were going to come back. The angel said that you were going to come back. When are you going to come back? Is that your hope? Are you really awaiting His appearing? Do you know that the way that this all turns out is that He comes back and that He wins? Unfortunately, I think that most Christians aren't looking for the blessed appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, you might ask the question, Scott, how do you know that Paul thought that his return was near? Well, go back to chapter 1 and verse number 10. Chapter 1 and verse number 10. And Paul says that we are going to, to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, watch this, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Paul put himself in that group. Delivers us. Not just you Thessalonians, not delivers you from the wrath to come, but delivers us. Paul knew that Jesus was going to come back. I hope that you realize that. I hope that you realize that Jesus is coming again. And I hope that you're excited about that. 
Paul knew that the Thessalonians were. They were waiting, right? They turned, they served, and they waited. In fact, notice what he says. You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven. What does it say there? Whom He raised from the dead. There's the resurrection again. The thing that makes Christianity different than every other religion is that God raised Jesus from the dead. Again, right there. That is the coolest thing to realize that it's there again and again and again and again. In other words, the Son of God that is coming from heaven is the same one that God raised from the dead. Paul makes it clear. He says that is... Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Paul says here that there is wrath that is approaching. What is the wrath of God? The wrath of God is when, is when Jesus comes back and He repays people who have rebelled against Him. In other words, He pours out judgment upon people who have rebelled against Him. Paul says here that the wrath to come, or there is wrath approaching, or there is wrath that is already on its way. We've been working through Romans, and there was a big section on the wrath of God, right? And we spent a long time going over that. And you remember Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, for the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Do you remember what I said about that? In other words, that's God turning them over to their desires. In other words, if God lets you do what you want to do, your sinful pursuits, you're experiencing part of His wrath. He is letting you have what you want. But Paul was talking about a time that is still coming and that is already on the way when God will pour out His wrath on rebellious men and women. Look over at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verses 2 and 3. And as you're turning there, I just want you to realize something. No matter how much money you have, no matter how stable your family is, no matter how well you're educated, if you're not a follower of Jesus, the wrath of God is going to come upon you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 2 says, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. And while they are saying peace and safety, in other words, while they're saying everything's fine, everything's good, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like birth pangs upon a woman with child and they shall not escape. We've got a lot of pregnant ladies in our church. And the thing is, they don't ever know when they're going to give birth, right? Unless they have a C-section. Yeah, Miss Rachel can tell you that all of a sudden she would say, Mike, it's time. We need to go to the hospital now, right? You realize those birth pains come, the baby's coming, you couldn't predict it, there's a due date, but sometimes they're early, sometimes they're on time, sometimes they're late, but it's time. That's how he's going to come. And you shall not escape. Listen to this. Don't turn there. But in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 16, when Jesus comes back, the people who rebelled against Him said to the mountains and to the rocks, 
fall on us and hide us from the presence of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand? You say, Scott, what are you saying? I'm saying what Paul's saying. And that is that there is a time that is coming and we don't know when it's going to be, in which Jesus is going to return. And when He returns, He's going to pour out His wrath upon everybody who has not repented of their sin and trusted in Him. My heart breaks for that. Because I know that that might be some of my family, some of my extended family, or some of my people that I know in life. And I don't want to see that happen. And so I'm sharing the gospel with them. But I realize that not everybody who says they're a Christian is really a Christian. And that's why it's so important that we don't pretend about this. That we're really honest about the condition of our heart. Because wrath is coming. Here's what I want you to understand. As much as that coming wrath should inspire fear in the hearts of the unbelievers, it should not cause Christians to be afraid. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have no reason to fear. Why? Because if you know Jesus as your Lord, He will be your deliverer and not your judge. He will rescue you or save you or deliver you from the wrath to come. That is exactly what Paul says. Because of the gospel, Jesus is the one who delivers us from the wrath to come. That's why I told the guy, the bug guy, about Jesus. Because I wanted him to be delivered from the wrath to come. I wanted him to be forgiven. I wanted him to know what life was really all about. That's why I took the time to tell you about my testimony and share scripture with you. And that's part of the reason why every Sunday I talk to people who aren't followers of Jesus about the need to repent and believe. That's why Paul went to Thessalonica and then he went to other places. And that's why the Thessalonians told everybody about Jesus. Why? Because they can be forgiven and everything will be different. And it's all through the gospel. Listen, I hope that you'll think about that. And I hope you'll realize that what happened to the Thessalonians can happen to you if you're willing to trust in Jesus. If you're willing to believe the facts about the gospel. And if you're willing to surrender your life to Him. And He will change you from the inside out. If you, don't under, if you don't understand or if you have more questions or, or you're thinking about this, talk to your leader and they will help you to understand. Alright? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the opportunity that you give us to be able to read about the Thessalonians and how you changed them. Thank you that the gospel just causes us to be so very different. The gospel changes how we live. The gospel reveals who you love. And we understand that the gospel can drive us. That we can spread the gospel through what we say and through how we live. And it's all because of what you have done in Christ. Father, I pray for these 
these young men and these young ladies that they would understand your word and that they would understand whether or not they're a true follower of Christ, the true imitator of Jesus. And if they are, I just thank you for that. And I pray that you would strengthen them and encourage them. And if they're not, Lord, I ask that you would help them to know how much you love them. And the fact that you sent your son to die in their place in order that they might be forgiven. And that more than anything in life, that they would want to be a follower of Jesus and to have him take control of their life. Thank you for making that possible. And we ask for your blessing on us and that your truth would bear fruit in our life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.